You're listening to Hidden History, and I'm your host, Ellis Tucci. Hidden History is an audio project of Bulletin Technologies, LLC. To find out how you can fly for a fraction of the cost of commercial, visit bulletinflights.com. For those of you that don't know, Hidden History is broadcast every week out of Carlisle, Pennsylvania. So, for this week's episode, I wanted to do something a little bit more local. Today we're going to be talking about something sweeter than the electronic music from last week's episode. Today we'll be talking about H.B. Reese, Milton Hershey, Wilbur Chocolate, and the long journey to create a candy empire. This is Hidden History. You're listening to Episode 3, The Sweetest Place on Earth. Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. It's the new Hershey's Kissy Snack Pack. Wow, a message in a bottle. Fan mail from some flounder. No, it's that new snack pack again. Look, there's eight Hershey's Kisses inside. Yum. Each with that big taste of Hershey's chocolate. And it's the same price as a candy bar. Again? I gotta get me a new head. I gotta get the new Hershey's Kisses Snack Pack. That was a commercial from 1986 for Hershey's Kisses Snack Packs, featuring the cartoon characters Rocky the Flying Squirrel and Bullwinkle the Moose, who at that point had been off the air for nearly two decades, but that's beside the point. The modern history of America's obsession with milk chocolate began far before the mid-80s, so let's start at the beginning. Daniel Peter A Swiss chocolatier was the first to create milk chocolate in 1876 by using a relatively new product, powdered milk, which had been invented in 1867 by Henri Nestlé, who would later go on to found, well, Nestlé, the largest food company in the world. Three years after the invention of milk chocolate in 1879, Harry Burnett Reese was born in Frosty Hill, Pennsylvania, the son of a dairy farmer. In 1916, Reese moved to the small utopian town of Hershey, Pennsylvania, to become a worker on Hershey Dairy Farm 28A. After enjoying a prosperous job as a dairyman, the Hershey Company closed the farm as a cost-saving measure, and Reese moved himself and his growing family, which by 1928 would consist of Reese, his wife Blanche, and their 16 children, only 13 of which would survive to adulthood, to nearby Spring Grove. After a series of odd jobs, including fishing supervisor for a cannery and two different stints in farming, the family moved back to Hershey so that Reese could support his wife and children by working in the chocolate factory as a shipping foreman. Milton Hershey was thought to be one of the fairest employers of his day. He paid his employees well and created proactive company policies that ensured that Hershey employees and their families could live comfortably. Yet, Money was always tight, and Harry Reese had an exceptionally large family. So, inspired by his work in Hershey's factory and his 1919 attempt at starting his own company, R&R Candies, he decided to take on a second job, selling confections he made in his basement. Reese was once quoted as saying, If Hershey can sell a trainload of chocolate a day, well, I can at least make a living selling candy. So, that's exactly what he did. He started out with after-dinner mints, then moved on to candy bars, with Reese's chocolate-covered dates and raisin clusters selling exceptionally well. He created two candy bars named after his children, the Lizzie and Johnny bars. 
Soon he enjoyed enough success that he was able to quit his job in the Hershey factory. He rented a larger basement, and in 1923, the H.B. Reese Candy Company was formed. Eventually, in 1925, he built a new home and a 100,000-square-foot factory in where else but Hershey, Pennsylvania. Construction was completed in 1926, and for the next two years, it was pretty much business as usual. That is, until 1928, when the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup was born. The cups were initially part of a line of bulk candy assortments that were sold in department stores for resale by weight. The candy was coated by hand on huge marble slabs so the chocolate wouldn't stick, and Reese would sometimes set one up in a department store window, where the four young women that worked each slab made any number of Reese's candies in full view of window shoppers and passers-by. Then came the Great Depression, and just like everywhere else, things were tight in the little town of Hershey. During the summer, it was too hot for Reese to actually make candy, so he used his experience from past jobs to create a business that canned the goods from local farms, but it didn't last long. By the mid-30s, his candy company took off. Peanut butter cups were their most popular product, and starting in 1935, for five whole cents, you could buy them individually wrapped. When wartime rationing came to the United States in 1942, chocolate was one of the many things that had restricted availability. As a result, Reese decided to discontinue every single one of his candies, except for the peanut butter cup. In the post-war years, the H.B. Reese Company saw massive success, and then on May 16, 1956, during the construction of a new, more modern factory, Harry Burnett Reese died of a heart attack. He was 76. Control of the company was passed onto his six sons, who, on July 2, 1963, merged with the Hershey Company in exchange for 666,316 shares of Hershey Common Stock, which, after 54 years' worth of stock splits, is valued at around $1.6 billion receiving $42 million in annual cash dividends. Six years after the sale, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups were Hershey's best-selling candy, and right now, they're the most popular candy in the United States, the third most popular in the entire world. And while well, I'd love to call the episode here, because researching, producing, and writing the scripts for each episode does take quite a long time, this episode would really be incomplete if I didn't actually talk that much about Milton Hershey. Milton S. Hershey, the S stands for Snavely, by the way, was born on September 13, 1857, to a Mennonite family in Derry Township, Pennsylvania. He grew up speaking Pennsylvania Dutch, and he only ever received up to a fourth-grade education. In 1871, he took up an apprenticeship with a local printer which produced German-English newspapers for the surrounding Mennonite and Amish communities. And in 1872, after accidentally dropping his hat in the printing machine, he was fired. His father asked the printer to give Milton a second chance, but his mother and his aunt pushed him to pursue an entirely new line of work. Candy-making. And so it was that at 14 years old, Hershey left home to undertake a four-year apprenticeship with a confectioner from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, named Joseph Royler. In 1876, when he was no longer an apprentice, he packed up and moved to Philadelphia to start his own candy company, which failed. 
Not a man to be easily discouraged, Hershey moved again, this time to New York City, where he started his second candy company, which also failed. His third move took him to Denver, Colorado, and instead of starting a third candy company, he settled to work for local confectioners, where eventually he learned how to make caramels from fresh milk. This newfound knowledge inspired him to make his second-to-last move, back to where it all began, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. It was here in 1883 where he started the Lancaster Caramel Company, and soon enough it had become a massive operation, employing over 1,400 people and shipping caramels across both America and Europe. For ten years, Hershey ran his caramel company, and for ten years, it was an outstanding success. But everything changed in 1893, during the World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago, where he saw an exhibit on German chocolate making. Hershey was so intrigued by the machines at the exhibit that he contracted to buy two of them once the exposition closed its doors. He had them shipped back to Lancaster, and used them to produce his signature caramels with chocolate coating. Soon after, in the face of rising demand for chocolate, Hershey reorganized his entire company to produce the stuff. He was especially interested in milk chocolate, which, since its creation, had been considered a delicacy reserved for the rich. Armed with his new mission to supply milk chocolate to the masses, he sold the Lancaster Caramel Company in 1900 for the astronomical sum of $1 million, around $27.5 million today. He used the proceeds from the sale to purchase a large swath of farmland near his birthplace in Derry Township, which he used to produce milk for his chocolate. Hershey began the process of experimenting with his chocolate recipe through trial and error, and eventually, that same year, in 1900, the Hershey Bar was born. In 1908, he added a version with almonds, but one of Hershey's most controversial products, among candy historians, that is, and probably one of your favorites, it was launched in 1907, the Hershey's Kiss. In the Wilbur Chocolate Factory 20 miles away, in the small town of Lidditz, Pennsylvania, ten years before the creation of the Kiss, Henry Oscar Wilbur created the Wilbur Bud, a bite-sized, flat-bottom, teardrop-shaped chocolate that was nearly identical to the Hershey's Kiss. The only differences being that Hershey's Kisses have always been individually wrapped, and that buds have the name of their manufacturer pressed into the bottom. While the revenue that Hershey makes from Kisses exceeds $400 million annually, the Wilbur Bud has largely been forgotten to history. And in January 2016, the Wilbur Chocolate Factory closed its doors for the last time, ending a 125-year-old tradition of chocolate-making in Lidditz. Whether or not Milton Hershey was inspired by the Wilbur Bud is still a topic of debate over a hundred years later, but one thing that isn't up for debate is the gargantuan impact that Hershey and his candy has had on the ways that we eat. With 150 products, including Twizzlers, Jolly Ranchers, York Peppermint Patties, and yes, Hershey Bars, the Hershey Candy Company produces tens of billions of snacks every year, and odds are, some of them will find their way to you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Hidden History. It was a whole lot of fun to research and produce, and if I've done my job correctly, hopefully you'll learned a few things about some of America's favorite candies. 
This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History, signing off.